welcome to the C3 Camden podcast. For more information about our church, please visit www.c3camden.church. We are so thrilled that you're listening today and we hope you enjoy the message. Thanks. Except for Jake, he's going to stay there. The rest of you can grab a seat. Thanks. Jimmy, you said we ate steak. Last night, this man on the keyboard... He didn't just eat steak. He ate a piece of steak this big, a chicken breast this big, a rack of ribs, and a stuffed potato that was as big as a hot dog bun. I'm not kidding. I don't know where he put it, but he polished it off. He was sitting across the table from me, and uh, all I can say is if I ate that, I would not look as thin as you do. That's for sure, mate. That was a lot of meat. What was it called? The combo. The big combo or something like that it was called. Well, how are you today? Good. Hey, kids, you're amazing. Thanks for being, uh, hanging out at the back up there. I can see Hannah up there. You're looking at, you, she's perfect. Like, the Hannah's perfect like this. Fantastic. Well, we're not going to take too long. Famous last words from a pastor. Hey, but we're not going to take too long. But we're going to have a communion service today. And uh, before we finish, we're going to partake of communion together. And I wanted to take this moment to kind of share uh, a little bit of what I've been learning as I've been studying more about communion. And I'm really excited because I I feel like probably for the first time in my 33-plus years as a follower of Jesus, I really got a a bit of a handle on uh, what the communion meal is all about. Now, for those of you who are raised... Um, you know, in a Catholic church or an Anglican church, you're probably going to come up to me afterwards and say, duh, you know, because you're going to go, I, already, I had this, I preached this message a fortnight ago, I picked and I had all these people walk up to me and say, oh, I already knew that. And I go, yeah, I know you already knew that, but I was raised a Pentecostal. I didn't know that. So um, I'm really excited about this. It's been a, a journey of study. Rather like a, earlier in the year, uh, Pastor Edwina decided that she would ask me to preach on fasting. Some of you may remember that. And I said, thanks very much for that. Now I actually have to do it. I actually have to fast. Well, I already did fast, but I, I've always had this sense that I was missing something with fasting. I, there was something about it that I wasn't fully grasping. It. To do that was, was a good thing. It was a challenging thing, but it forced me to go and seek God's Word and pray and, and, and listen to wise men and women who'd gone ahead of me. Uh, and uh, learn from them. And uh, it it has revolutionized my understanding of fasting. So despite the frustration I first felt when she asked me to do that, thank you, Pastor Ed, it it was good. How are you feeling, by the way? She's feeling good. She's just keeping your social distance as far away from everybody as you can, or just just hanging out with Mara at the back. That's good. Wonderful. Uh, Pastor Edwina had COVID this week. Paul's got over. Caring and sharing, they say, so... Uh, I'm sure she didn't feel very cared for when she was up in the middle of the night. But anyway, through the worst of it. That was your first time having it, wasn't it? Yeah. Anyone not had COVID apart from me? Oh, lots of you. Several of you not had COVID. I don't feel so important anymore. I thought I was like one of the only ones left. We must just be a very resilient bunch. We are, aren't we? Famous last words. Jill's at home at the moment with a sore throat. So... Uh, you know, she's testing negative at the moment, but uh, she didn't want to come because she was chatting with Edwina and we thought maybe Edwina had shared the love with Jill. So we just wait and see. But we'll, we'll wait and see. But I'm here and I don't have any symptoms. So anyway, that's enough of that. So where was I before? I was talking about that, talking about, uh, talking about fasting. And in a similar vein, uh, just a, a month or two ago, 
uh, Pastor Ivana was talking to me about a series that we have been undertaking in our Picton location recently uh, called Devoted. And what we had done following on from a series on the book of Acts, we, we, she wanted to go back and she wanted to focus in the early church devoted themselves to. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayer. These four things that Luke decided he would, um, he, he would explain as central to what the early church looked like. And he wanted a description of what the early church was like. They were people who were devoted to listening and learning from the teaching of the apostles. They were a people who were devoted to community, to hanging out together, to fellowship. That's a very Christian word, but it just means hanging out kind of with a bit of spiritual connotation. They were devoted to breaking of bread, which is a picture of the communion meal, and they were devoted to prayer. And so these four, and Ivana, in a similar vein to Edwina, kind of, I think she said, I don't want to preach on that, so you can, Pastor Owen. So she said, could you preach on communion? And in the same way, I went, okay, I really need to do some work. I need to go back and study because just like fasting, I felt like there are some things that I had not ever really grasped. I think I touched on this in a video about five or six weeks ago when I was preparing this message. So some of you have heard parts of what I'm going to say today via that video, but I'm going to go into a little bit more depth about what the communion meal is all about so that we come out of the service with a greater understanding of that. And so we're going to uh, learn a little bit about it and then we're going to actually partake and encounter God in what we call this communion meal or this breaking of bread. And so I'm going to do a bit of history, a bit of practice, a bit of a, a bit of sort of acting out some stuff on stage to help you get a grasp on this. But the first thing um, I thought I'd mention, just for a bit of information before we get into the inspiration and the revelation of the scripture, uh, there are different terms that are used for this same thing. So we're going to partake of what we would call communion. But the first term is the one I've already used in Acts 2.42. What was that? Breaking of bread. This sense of breaking apart bread. If you break of the same loaf, Paul says we all eat from the same loaf. It, it was this picture of doing something together, eating a meal throughout history. Meals together have been an essential part of living in community. And so breaking of bread is all about that. It's about uh, community together. And that was the term the early church used. Later on, Another term that was used, uh, they, they called it the koinonia, the Greek word koinonia, which can, uh, translates into English as communion. Uh, it means the sharing, really. It means the sharing or the partaking together, to, to do something in community, the sharing. Uh, then, a term that some of you may be used, especially if you've come from an Anglican background, there's another term that's often used in the people who can speak Greek in the room. We've got any Greek speaking? So, yeah, we've got Helen, of course. Helen, how do you say thank you? In Greek, she said it with the accent. I can't do that now. It's something like that. You can hear that coming out, except I didn't do it with the But we translate it into English as Eucharist. So if thank you in Greek is Eucharisto, what do you think the meal is? What do you think the Eucharist is? Eucharist is. Seems like a funny word, but it just means the meal together to thank Jesus. And it was also called the Lord's Supper. And you may have heard that term as well. That's because initially the, the meal was, was birthed out of the, the Passover, which was also a supper. It was something they did at the end of the day. They would partake of supper. They would partake of a meal together. And so it had that name, the Lord's Supper. Much later on, uh, it, had, it came under a different name when it was translated into Latin. And they called it the en missa est. I don't know how to say that in Latin. I'm not a Latin teacher. I-N 
M-I-S-S-A-E-S-T. And it actually means the sending out. And as some of you may not know this, but that is actually the term that the Catholics picked up on, which is an essential part of when you go to a Catholic service, what do you call it? A mass, Mr. Mass. So when you go to a Catholic mass, a mass is not just a regular church service. Mass was all about the communion meal. And you can see this connotation of the idea was at the end of the service, we would partake of a meal, a mass together for the purpose of being sent out. You would receive fresh encounter with the power of God, with the life of God, with the breeze of the Spirit, with the water of the Spirit. The life of God would be imparted into you through this special meal so that you could be sent out by the priest into your day-to-day life. So your Monday to Saturday life would be lived out of a sustenance from that meal. Are you with me? That was the connotation of how this, uh, how this meal came about and all the different variations on what this meal is about. And to help us understand it, we kind of need to have a bit of an analogy. And so um, I thought we'd do a little bit of fun today. And uh, I, I heard that it's Michael Brownlee's birthday this week. Is that right, Michael? Coming up on Tuesday, is that your birthday? Correct. Michael birth, Michael Brownlee. And then I was thinking, we need to sing happy birthday to Michael. And then Paul reminded me that today is Camden's 11th birthday, so we have to sing happy birthday to ourselves. And then Jimmy walks in the door and says he's late because he's been at his daughter Millie's second birthday. So this birthday's all round. So um, I don't know whether I want to disrupt the kids, but maybe I don't want to. They just do it. Do it. I've got some people saying heck no and other people saying do it. So... Um, No, that's all right. We're going to have fun in church. What's a bit of noise? Hey, kids, who would like to wear a party hat? Come on up the front. Now, what we do is the camera is on stage, parents. We'll put the kids down here so that they won't be on camera. And you might let it off in your face. So I'm not going to do that. But you can have the party hat. And Hannah, seeing as you were the first person, you get to blow that when the time is right, okay? But you do need to give it back to me because I don't trust you with it for the rest of the service, okay? So you you might not be listening to a word I'm saying. One there. One there. All right, we're going to sing happy birthday to C3 Camden. We're going to sing happy birthday to Michael and Millie. Happy birthday. All right, all three. Can you do that? All right. We are going to sing happy birthday. Jake is going to lead us. He, was, he spent like, you're going to have to lead us, play it, and then someone who can sing really, you can all sing really loud. Ready, Jake? Go for it. didn't work, Hannah. Blow harder. Uh, yeah, there we go. You guys can have those hats now. That's amazing. Hannah, will get the back off you. I don't trust you with that thing. Thank you. There you go, guys. Now, I just want you to think for a moment as the kids make their way back down the front. Imagine you're an alien. And you walk into that church. Imagine you're an alien and you come into a house and someone is blowing out candles, blowing whistles, using cheap environmentally friendly pieces of plastic that just get thrown in the bin afterwards and all that kind of stuff. What is it about that? If you imagine if you had no cultural context for what you just saw, you would think, what are you doing? And you say, oh, it's my birthday. And you'd go, what do you mean it's your birthday? Surely, surely it's not Michael's birthday on Tuesday. He was, that happened like 20 years ago or something. You know, that's Thank you. You can thank me later, Mike. That's fine. 
that was like 20 years back in the past when we had Michael's birthday. You go, yeah, yeah, it is his birthday. We celebrate his birthday. We celebrate all the days in between and we even look forward to the future. Many happy returns. We remember here at C3 Camden, our birthday, our original birthday. Remember that very first day, Paul? How exciting was that first day? We had nothing going for us. We had absolutely nothing, but we, we were there and we were having a crack. Claire was there nodding. That very first day, 11 years ago today. And we remember those birthdays. We remember last year, our 10th birthday, which was our first service back after COVID down in the Camden Park. Who remembers that one? Was that a great day? It was so exciting to be back together after COVID 12 months ago. And so we remember that and we look forward to the future. Somehow this celebration, these moments with these little items that seemingly have no significance symbolise something far greater than what they are. You with me? But you see how you need to know the context to be able to make use of the symbols. Otherwise, they're empty. Otherwise, you miss something. And in the same way, I think in some degree, at least for me, I haven't understood enough of the context. So I've had this sense of there's something I'm missing. I don't quite get the full picture of what communion is about. Communion is a symbolic act that represents something far bigger. And that's my intention to try to get that across in the next few really easy read. In fact, uh, N.T. Wright, who wrote this book, he actually wrote it for young Christians who are new, new converts to the faith to teach them about, about communion. So it's, it's certainly not a theological treatise. It's, it's easy to understand. And it's called The Meal Jesus Gave Us. The Meal Jesus Gave Us, if you read out of the book. And I want to just read to you, because he says it much better than I can, uh, another analogy, beyond the birthday party analogy. He now goes on and he talks about the significance of Passover, the Passover meal. And he says, to get into this next party, we're going to a quarter of a small town in Turkey about 200 BC, 200 years before Jesus. All day long, this is a Jewish community, all day long, you've been aware of a growing excitement. People are shopping in a hurry. People are busy going to and fro. It's springtime. There's a sense of something about to happen. Then everything goes quiet in the street. You go over to one of the houses and you knock on the door and a girl comes and lets you in and brings you to the table where the family is gathered. What are you all doing? This is one of our special days. We call it the Pesach. Pesach? What does that mean? Well, it means passing over. It's what happened when, well, you'll see. Just listen to the story. The older man at the head of the table is starting to speak. Actually, he's starting to read. He reads in a slightly sing-song voice. It's an old story of the Jewish people when they were slaves in Egypt. Everybody seems to know the story. They nod and smile as the tale unfolds. We, the people of Abraham, the people called by God to be the light of the world, we went down into Egypt and we were slaves there. And God brought us up from Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. He condemned the Egyptians, but He passed over us and brought us through the Red Sea and into the wilderness. And He gave us His law and He brought us to a promised land. The story goes on and on and on, all through the plagues of Egypt, all the dramatic details. At one point, a little boy, the younger brother of the girl who let you in, pipes up. He seems to be reading or perhaps his mother is prompting him. And he says, why is this night different from all the other nights? Because, says his father, the older man at the table, still reading from his text, this is the night when our God, the Holy One, blessed be He, came down to Egypt and rescued us from the Egyptians. But it isn't you whisper to your friend. All that happened a long time ago. 
Yes, it is, the girl whispers. This is the same night. You see, it's like the birthday party. We are the same people. And we are the people of Israel, the people God loved and chose and promised to rescue. We are the people who came out of Egypt. But, but, but not you, surely not you, you ask. That must have been your great, 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 great grandparents with quite a few more greats in between. Yes, of course, she replies. But you see, that's not the point. We are not just us. If you see what I mean, we are part of them part of the whole of God's people, God's family. We are the same family that came out of Egypt. We are the same family that are having this meal in every Jewish home, everywhere in the world tonight. This is what makes us all one, this meal. But why do you go on doing it? Surely that happened a very long time ago. How can it mean anything for you today? Well, it tells about tells us things about who we are. Things, oh, you know, about how God rescues us and loves us. Babylonians and then the Persians and then the Greeks. So when we celebrate Pesach, Passover, we remind ourselves that we are God's freedom people. He made us free and He wants us to be free. So you're saying this meal says all that? Somehow that doesn't seem to matter. What matters is that we're all here. We all belong. We know that God loves us and we know that He rescued us a long time ago and He will rescue us again. Oh, Ab is getting to the good bit now. The older man raises his voice, chanting with a now strange, haunting music. What's all that about, he, you whisper. That's when, uh, and all, all the while, you've been eating and Rebecca, the girl who met you, has explained to you what went along, what, what has happened with the different things of men. The odd flat bread that, with no leaven, that was because the people of Israel had to make their bread without leaven on the night they were left Egypt. The bitter, bitter herbs that made you choke and your eyes watered reminded you of the sorrow they had in Egypt and so on. Even the funny way they sat at the table, they didn't really sit. They kind of leaned sideways, reclining, they called it. It was supposed to say that they were God's free people. You see, slaves stand, free people recline. The whole meal seemed to say in a hundred different ways, this is who we are, this is who we were. This is all, this is who we will be. And coming through all of it, the strange music of the story says, this is who God was. This is who God is, and this is who God will be. All tied up in the significance of this Passover meal. Can you see how understanding context gives it beauty, gives it richness, gives it depth? And it was this very meal that Jesus took to use to institute a new meal, the Passover meal that he instituted the night before he was crucified. He gathered the saints together, he gathered his disciples together, and he uh, gave this story. He, he, he instituted this meal. And we're going to read just some verses where the Apostle Paul, some years later, reflects back on this meal. Uh, and he, he, he quotes from what appears to have already been an understanding, something that they had already throughout the 30 or 40 years since Paul was writing this, where it had actually become something that was almost like into their liturgy this acknowledgement of who Jesus was and what he did at the Last Supper. And Paul is quoting what he had been taught. He says, I'm going to pass on to you what I have already been taught. And he says in 1 Corinthians, I think we've got verse 20, 1 Corinthians uh, uh, 11 verse 20 on the screen, he says this. He says, when you meet together, you're not really interested in the Lord's Supper. For some of you are in a hurry to eat your own meal. No, it needs to be 12. That's all right. Just listen. It's okay. Probably my typo. 
when you meet together, you're not really interested in the Lord's Supper. Some of you are in a hurry to eat your own meal without sharing with others. And as a result, some of you go hungry and others get drunk. You see, what they were doing is they started this new communion meal, this meal of the saints in Corinth, and they got together on the Lord's Day, which was Sunday, and they would get together at the end of the day. What, and what was happening is the idea of this meal was that all the people could gather and celebrate this meal. But meanwhile, the rich were able to come because they didn't have anything else to do. The slaves were still working. They were still working long hours, so they were missing out. And what happened is they would get there at the end of the day and all the food was eaten and there was no communion. And Paul goes, that's not how it's supposed to work. You, some of you are just partying on and others are missing out. He says, what? Don't you have homes for eating and drinking? Do you really want to disgrace God's church and shame the poor? Why are you hanging out eating a meal when the idea is that you're supposed to all come together? You see, eating at the same table is supposed to be a great equaliser of rich and poor, slave and free, different ethnicities, different cultures and backgrounds all coming together and sharing a meal together. It's a great equaliser. It's this thing that says, hey, I'm one with you. The point here, it's not an opportunity for a free feed. It's an opportunity to unite one another together. Instead of being an equaliser, it had become something far worse. In fact, this is part of the reason why historically it moved from being a Lord's Supper to being a meal. And it's actually why church services, except for C3 Camden and a few notable ones, throughout history have been at what time on a Sunday? Morning. Because historically what would happen is the slaves weren't able to get there. So what they would do is they would shorten the meal down to some emblems, and they would have it early in the morning before the slaves went to work so that everybody could partake of it. Isn't that interesting? That's the birth of Sunday morning church. That's where it came from. This opportunity to make sure that everybody could be present. For this, 4 verse 23, I thank you, you got it up. For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread, gave thanks to God and broke it in pieces and said, this is my body, which is given for you. I'll come back to that in a minute. This is saying, this is the new covenant between God and His people. In doing so, He was superseding Passover. He was actually saying, I'm going to use Passover to start a new meal, which shows and represents what Passover was always meant to represent. That the Passover was actually about Him. He's the Lamb of God and he is fulfill, I'm fulfilling Passover and I'm going to start a new meal. And so it became not just something you had to do once once a year, like Passover, it was something Jesus could say you can do. You'll see this as often as you want. He says, uh, this is the new covenant between God and His people, an agreement confirmed in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you're announcing the Lord's death until He comes again. Do this as often as you will. And so as part of this revelation I'm going to move us next year. We're going to move back to taking communion every Sunday as part of our service. Every Sunday. Now, you might wonder, well, why, why weren't you doing that anyway? Well, I think there's a number of reasons, but lots of churches went away from communion every Sunday and went to once a month or once every six months. And I think part of the reason was this lack of revelation, where if you don't really understand what's going on behind the scenes, it can become like empty religious. It becomes like a dead symbolic act. But I'm kind of thinking now in reflection and going, and the, the thought was, I was, you know, I was in conversations in leadership teams over the years. The thought was, look, if we're doing it every week, it's just becoming something they just do by rote. It's just empty of power. Maybe if we did it once a month, they'd take it more seriously. That's kind of the thing. Maybe we'd treat it more seriously. But that's not the problem. Maybe if we taught people what it meant, then maybe we could take it more seriously every week. 
Because Jesus says do this often. So that's what we're going to do starting next year. We're going to have communion every week. And uh, we're going to do it more often than not at the end of the service to fit with what 2,000 years of church history has done. The whole idea of having communion earlier in the service, that's a relatively new thing. But throughout most of history, it's this sending out, the last thing we do, partaking of the life of Christ and then being sent out into the week. And so I want to give you um, a a bit of an understanding. I want to spend just a moment before we get our band back, a couple of minutes. I just want to spend a bit of a moment uh, describing what communion is. Remember Jesus says, this told us that the communion meal, the Eucharist, the koinonia is supposed to be something that unites us. Paul says, I don't want it to be something that divides you. It's supposed to be something that says you're all God's people. And throughout history, so there might be, you know, 50 of us, 60 of us here today or whatever, in a room having communion in a moment. But just like that Passover meal, when we partake of this communion, we are uniting ourselves with all Christians all of God's people throughout all of time, throughout all the world. There is a sense in which the events that took place on the cross at that moment when Jesus died and said it is finished, it's like they race through time and catch up to us. So at this moment, everything that Jesus fulfilled on the cross is fulfilled in the moment we take communion. Every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you're announcing the Lord's death, something that has happened until He comes again, something that will happen. All of the story gets united in this one place and one moment in time. And in that place and moment in time, we are united with all the story. We are united with all believers throughout all of history. We are, in one sense, sitting in a school hall in Spring Farm. And in another sense, we are sitting at the feet of Jesus, reclining with Him at the Lord's Supper or standing at the feet of the cross. We are also experiencing that moment when He comes from, comes from heaven again and overthrows the enemy. It all happens in this moment. I tell you, that's exciting. A few of you are nodding, but if we can grasp that, that is what communion meal is about. It's all of, all of that being rushed together into that moment in time. And so before we take it, there's one other thing I need to say, which is, is kind of sad. You see, hopefully I've shown you that it's supposed to unite us. Sadly, Tragically, the communion meal has separated the Christian church more than any other religious observant throughout history. Denominations have been formed over this, and that's the least of the concerns. Wars have been fought over this. People have been, I'll be careful with my words, um, just because of who's in there. People have been martyred for this. I would have said it a lot more strongly if I could have. Uh, through the Middle Ages, people who had a different view were martyred because they were seen as heretics because they had a different view about communion. I think the Apostle Paul would just say like, he'd go, what? Like he did in Corinthians. What do you think this is about? You're missing the point. You're, you're dividing over something that's supposed to unite you. So what are they dividing about? Well, it all boils down to these words of Jesus. This is my body that is given for you. Or he says in John 6, he says, unless you eat my flesh and Drink my blood. You are not worthy of me. You have no part in me, he says in John 6. Jesus said, I'll tell you the truth. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you cannot be part, you have no eternal life within you. But anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise that person at the last day. And so people have questioned throughout time, what did Jesus mean when he said, this is my body? What did Jesus mean when he said, you have to eat my flesh? And so what happens is different schools of thought have formed about communion. 
And so I'm going to kind of map it out for you. On one side over here, you have uh, what would be regarded as the Roman Catholic view. Change, substance, the changing of substance. So uh, the Catholic doctrine actually took this very literally, the literal view, and they said what actually happens at a certain moment in a Catholic Mass, I think it's the priest rings the bell, at that moment, they actually believe that the, 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 the body, the bread, and the, the juice or the bread and the wine actually fit, transform into the actual body and blood of Jesus Christ. That's transubstantiation. And you look at it and go, still looks like bread and wine to me. And they say, yeah, that's not the point though. The Middle Ages, they believed that the substance of a thing and the appearance of a thing could be two different things. So they said it might still look like bread and wine, but it's actually not bread and wine anymore. It's actually the physical body and blood of Jesus. You see the point? That's transubstantiation. And that was sort of the traditional view for the Catholic Church for a long time. Along comes a guy 500 years ago called Martin Luther, and he did morphed it slightly. And he had a view which was called consubstantiation. And in fact, the Lutherans today that descended from Martin Luther, they kind of hold to this perspective. And it's consubstantiation, which means with substance. And so it's not that different, really. What actually Luther said is it didn't just change and no longer be bread and wine and become the body and blood of Christ. He said it's still bread and wine and it's also the physical body and blood of Christ. So it's both, okay? So it is still the physical body and blood of Christ. It's also the, the bread and the wine. There's another school of thought moving along the spectrum a little bit. And this is, these are, this is not a digital spectrum. This is an analog spectrum. People have, it's just a continuous line and people drift and have different perspectives of all the others. But moving along a little bit, there's a, there's a, a guy by the name of Ocamplidius, I think. And he, he's, he, didn't, he kind of dismissed that view. And he had a view called impanation, which means inbred. Similar to the word incarnation. The incarnation is the spirit of life, spirit of, of the eternal God, becoming incarnate in the flesh of Jesus, that life spirit. And he said in the same way, the life of God comes into this bread and this wine. It's still bread and it's still wine, but it's now infused with the supernatural life force of God. It's not the body and blood of Christ, but there's a sense in which it's got a supernatural life in it. Are you with me? And then over on this way, which is the way probably many of us, especially in Pentecostals have been taught, is the symbolic view that these are just symbols, that they are merely a symbol that we take when we partake of communion. They represent something. In the same way that the party hat isn't the birthday. It's not like Michael wears his party hat on Tuesday and suddenly the party hat becomes Michael. Now, that, that just kind of seems absurd to us. It's a symbol that represents something about Michael's birthday. And that is what I've been taught. And while I probably agree with that. I think in all honesty, if it's just a symbol, I think we run the risk of it being empty of significant meaning. So you don't need to have a birthday party and a hat and streamers and a cake to have a birthday. And what we can do is we can go, oh, I can take or leave the symbol. Like actually that, that kind of experience of God's presence is relatively new in the church. In fact, throughout most of history, throughout the first 1500 years of church history, do you know where the presence of God was most experienced was in the communion. Was in the communion. So I'm not. I'm not. I love spending time in God's presence in worship. But I'm just wondering if maybe we need to elevate this a little bit more. Along comes Martin Luther, and he says, "I want to." He says, "You've you've made this priesthood has become corrupt, and you're controlling the masses with this with this communion meal." And he says, "We need to elevate. We need to put the Bible in the hands of the people." So they elevated the preaching of the word. So Protestants lifted up the preaching of the word, which I think is a good thing. I think it's better if we can not just teach you, but teach you to teach yourself. 
so that the priesthood, the leaders don't have all the control. As a pastor, my job is not to teach you as much as to teach you to teach yourself. Experience, and I think we need to see the elevation of the communion meal. And I think just seeing it as a symbol, for me at least, waters it down. I think I can take a step this way because I think most Christians throughout most of history have done that. They may not be at the point where they say it becomes the physical blood and body of Jesus, but there's this sense in there's something special about this meal. It's more than just a symbolic act. There is a sense in which there is a way we encounter the life of God in this moment that we don't always encounter in other ways. That's why I'm excited about communion. I'm ready to receive the life of God. Could we get our band to come and join us on stage? And as we do, I uh, will explain how we're going to do this today. Is this Okay. What we're going to do for those that are able in a moment, I'm going to invite you to come to the front and, uh, and receive communion. Parents, you might want to bring your children with you. That's totally fine to do that. We do have some at the back if you'd prefer not to or you're not able to get to the front. I'll explain what we're going to do in a moment. The team are going to lead us and we're going to take some space. Uh, Michael, I think Michael's going to come to the front in a moment and stand here. And I would encourage you, invite you to come down the front, down the centre aisle, Receive communion, and then if you're able, just take a step to either side. And then when you're ready to go back to your seat, you can go up the side aisles. But as we sing, I would love you to come forward and encounter God. The whole act of eating meals together, it's not just a new idea. We've been doing it, God's people have been doing it throughout all of history. The Passover meal was a special moment. In fact, all the feasts of Israel were a special moment. And to, to explain a bit more about what they understood about the, the, the act of eating together, it was actually uh, partaking of the life of God. Right back in the first beginning, two or three chapters of the Bible, we read about the tree of life, this tree that God put there beside the tree of knowledge of evil, good and evil. And in, in this tree, they were able to eat of this tree. God's intention was always that His people would eat of the life source of God. In that tree was eternal life. It was a picture, whether it's literal or not, actually doesn't change the point of what God's trying to say. He's trying to say, there is an ability to eat from something that will sustain you and keep you going through life's challenges, through life's difficulties. When life is frail and fragile and broken and temporal that the Jews ate throughout history, the communion meal are meant to be a symbolic way of saying the way to the tree of life is open again. Because when sin comes, Adam and Eve and humanity were banished away from and unable to eat from the tree of life. In fact, the Bible tells us that's the reason they were sent out of the garden because their hearts were wicked. And he said, I can't allow you to eat from the tree of life and live forever because if you do, your heart, your wicked heart is just going to get worse and worse and you're going to destroy one another and hurt one another and abuse one another. He says, not good. And he did that through Jesus. And at the beginning of the book, we read about the tree of life. And right at the end of the book, the very last chapter, we read about what? The tree of life, the healing of the nations. The whole journey is about partaking of the tree of life. And so today... Maybe you're a bit dry. I'm going to mix a whole lot of metaphors together now. Talking to Paul before the service. Lots of metaphors because they'll, one of them might tweak with where you're at. Maybe you're a bit dry. Well, Jesus, communion. You can drink of the living waters of the Spirit. Maybe you're hungry for God as you eat 
you're partaking of the life of Christ. Maybe you just need a fresh wind from the Holy Spirit. We're going to sing this song in the moment, fresh wind. Maybe you feel stale. Maybe you feel cooped up by the, all that's going on in your life right now. And you just need, you know that beautiful breeze like we had this afternoon? Just, it's so nice after all the whole horrible cold weather of the week just to be able to put your window down and just let that refreshing breeze come in. Maybe you feel like that. You just need fresh breeze. As you partake of communion, let the breeze of God's Spirit blow over you. Maybe you feel like you've lost your fire. Maybe you feel like life has taken a toll on you. Maybe you've got some stuff this week ahead of you that's kind of challenging you. What am I going to do? How am I going to get through that? Maybe your fire is like, feels like a little pilot light right now. Well, as you partake of communion, you can experience the fire of God to ignite your soul again with fresh energy, fresh invigoration, so that we can send you out into this week. Does that make sense? So we're going to get our team to lead us. And Mike, if you want to come forward now, the birthday boy. And uh, I'd love you to just come forward and begin as you're ready to receive communion and then step to the side. And uh, we'll take communion together once everyone has an opportunity. So come on forward now. Thanks. you've uh, had communion, just encourage you to stay stay at the front. Just really, God's really been placing this thought of that it's going to... watching, you can partake of communion, grab something to eat, a bit of bread or something like this moment. Well, loving Father, we thank you that the way to the tree of life is open to us. We thank you that in this moment, we gather with all saints throughout all of time, throughout all of the world. And we are unified in this moment around the cross of Christ. Lord Jesus, we are grateful. We thank you, Eucharist. We thank you for giving up your life for us, for making a way back to the Father, back to access to the true life of Christ. And I pray that as we eat and remember your death, we proclaim it until it comes again. In this moment, in this very special and holy moment, we are God's people. This is who we are. This is who we were. This is who we will be. Lord, would you give us life from your soul, from your spirit to our souls today to sustain us during this next season. 
Why don't you begin when you're ready to eat and drink and then Paul and the team are going to lead us in this song. to this week's message from our church. We pray that you feel empowered by what you've heard today. We hope that you can stay connected by following us online. You can find us at C3 Camden on Facebook, Instagram and YouTube or visit our website at www.c3camden.church You're always with